Welcome to Speak Up St. Louis, a podcast where we... <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? The <laughs> elephant... <laughs> It's always one take. I it's always a multi- it's always two takes. I never get it right the first time. I'm not. I don't even know why. I, That's because you like to build it up a little bit. Right. You like okay. to build up to it. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome to Speak Up St. Louis, a podcast where we di- where we <laughs> diversify the elevated <laughs> voices. I keep for some reason I keep messing up. Where we elevate the diverse local voices that make up true St. Louis culture. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Three. Two. Welcome to Speak Up St. Louis, a podcast where we elevate the diverse local voices that make up true St. Louis culture. I am your co-host, Quentin Ward, here with my good co-host, Lucas Signorelli. Q, I give you an A- minus on that intro. It was, that was solid. It After was solid. it took multiple tries, for everyone that does not know, it always takes me at least two to three tries to get that intro right. I don't know what it is. You would think after 50 plus episodes, I would have it down. But here we are, 50, what, three, 54 episodes in, and I'm still getting it right. Listen, man, life in creative pursuits, it's all just a work in progress. Man. I know, man. We're, and speaking of work in progress, one year of the podcast so on november 1st of 2020 we released our first episode with hassan sharif that's right yeah and today we sit here as we record in the studio november 1st 2021 so just a cool moment to stop and pause thank everyone for listening and bearing with q and i on this on this journey and uh officially one calendar year into the podcast pretty cool for sure and you know gonna continue to just keep these things rolling you know, we still, you know, we have a really great vision on, you know, the great guests that we'll be able to bring on, but also really excited for the people we haven't thought of yet to really be able to elevate the diverse local voices here in St. Louis. That's what it's all about. And no, you know, no one embodies that better than today's guest, Jeffrey Blair from I See Me Bookstore in U City Q. This is when we got to record on site at the bookstore what a what an invigorating inspiring environment what an incredible story and family that's running that children's bookstore in U city that's dedicated to really to diversity in literature for children for sure yeah you know we talked with jeffrey blair but also really shout out jeffrey and pamela the two co-owners um you know them holding it down and really being able to bring you know, new perspective to um, American history, but also bringing new perspective to what, you know, not only what a bookstore, but really what a bookstore can be. Yeah. Um, And just that environment and the work that they're doing, not only within education, but also within the broader community as well, too. Thanks to Jeffrey for coming on, folks. If you're listening, go ahead and go to the bookstore, see what it's all about. You're going to want to check it out, especially if you have kids. But even if you don't, Q and I were there. They got an adult section, a lot of really interesting books and titles to look at. So go ahead and show that support to I See Me. Also, show that uh, support to Speak Up St. Louis. Throw us that five-star review. It helps out a ton. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button and know that we drop these episodes every single Sunday. And we do not miss. (laughs) Don't miss. Um, So, yeah, I think without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's do it. Jeffrey Blair, welcome to Speak Up St. Louis. Thank you for having me. Now, this is really a, you know, great opportunity. And thank you for inviting us into your space. Um, you know, really just, it feels good to be around this many books. It's been a while. It's, com- it's comforting. <laughs> nice. Nice. A lot of knowledge, a lot of wealth here, not only just from you, but all the different things that you all are curating for the St. Louis community. Well, not just St. Louis, everywhere that you're delivering these books to. So really excited to re- get into just the love of literature, the love of creativity, and really how all this came to be. Mm-hmm. But sure. If, but if we want to start, like, just really getting into telling the people, you know, who you are um, and the work that you do here in St. Louis. Sure. Well, again, thank you for having me. <clears throat> Glad to have you guys here. Um, you know, as we start to open up, it's good to have more and more uh, people coming in, you know, mm-hmm. for different events. So this is great. So again, my name is Jeffrey Blair, and I'm the co-owner of the ICME African American Children's Bookstore in University City, and uh, I'm co-owner of my wife Pamela, and um, <clears throat> we started the concept of ICME, um, raising our own children. We have four children. Um, shout out to them: Jeffrey, Sarah, Naomi, and Ezra. 
two boys, two girls. And um, while we were raising them, we just found it incredibly difficult trying to find books for them that reflected them, reflected their brown skin and their kinky hair and the you know history of African-Americans' contributions to the world and society. So um, we went to a lot of effort trying to fill that gap and try to bring that into their life. Um, and uh, for a short time, actually, we even homeschooled our children from like second grade until about about fifth grade or so. And this is in New Jersey, actually. I mean, we're actually from New Jersey. Um, Whereabouts in New Jersey? Uh, Teaneck and Montclair. Got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with New Jersey? My father's from the northern part of the state. Yeah, that's yeah. northern so part. I've been up there a bunch. He was from Newton. This is town. A little oh. small town. Yeah, yeah. It's a suburb of New York City. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> we moved here in 2010, and that's when we migrated children back into the school system. Um, but in, in that time, you know, all throughout their, their education, we just, even while they were in school, there was that gap. It wasn't, whether it was the curriculum, the books that they use, or the stories that are told, just didn't reflect them. So um, we made a conscious effort to try to fill that gap just for our children. That's all because we could see that they needed that. And then, you know, when we migrated them back into the school system, we saw that they were doing exceptionally well. And um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the achievement gap that's spoken about, um, that they didn't succumb to that. They, they were competing at the highest levels. They got awards and honor rolls in high school. They were AP courses and scholarship and everything like that. So it did quite well. So a lot of times parents or teachers will ask us, well, what, what do we do? Is it like more tutoring? And we're like, no, it's not, not that. But we just gave them a, a really firm foundation about who they are. They were able to see themselves in the books that they read they could see themselves as the main characters even when we talk about American history or world history so I think it helped them to become self-motivated about learning and um, so it just reflected them in academic academic studies so um, along the way then we're like hey let's open up the bookstore and um, and see if this is something that parents and schools would be interested in as well finding a place one-stop shop where they'd be able to find books um, that can reflect the beauty of their children. Mm. So that's kind of how we got, got started with that. And then we opened up the bookstore again in 2015. Mm. So, so in, that was the start. And teaching them who they are and their history, there's a lot of ways I guess you could have gone about doing that, but it sounds like in your mind and in, in your experience, the key was the books. Absolutely, yeah. So it was, you know, it's, it's understanding, especially children, they say the term, uh, picture's worth a thousand words, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, you can say a lot of things, but you show a picture, and, okay, I get it, you know, especially with children. <clears throat> and especially mostly children's books, it's mostly imagery. And so the imagery just wasn't there, you know, and, and again, to the school system, pretty much. Um, and you think about it, a child can go through kindergarten, let's say an African-American child can go from kindergarten to, to 12th grade, never, ever see themselves. Mm. Only time they see themselves... Martin Luther King, or talk about slavery, you know, yeah, usually. Frederick Douglass. There you go, Frederick Douglass, Rosa Parks. Just the, the few, the high one, that, but that's it. And it's only through the dimension usually of civil rights of some kind. So it's, it's not accurate and sometimes not um, productive as well as helping a child really um, reach their self-esteem or see the potential about what they could be. And it also sounds like too, it's not it's not showing a full black experience. Right. It's not showing a black experience of love, of joy, of all these other things that are all human experiences. Right. That black folks have as well too. Hundred percent. It's always a struggle or trying to you know to retain something or gain something in that sense. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's right. I remember uh, when my uh, daughter was in middle school and her coming home and saying it's like. I'm just so tired of the books that they're having us read. Anytime there's an African-American character, it's usually about, you know, poverty, um, um, you know, drugs. Um, but then there's like a white savior, you know, that comes mm-hmm. in and saves the day. And it's like, and that's the narrative that's there. And that's the only story that's ever told. And she was just so tired of that one narrative, you know. And so um, I think, you know, I think a part of that, too, is then, it you know I, it ends up limiting the child about their abilities or what where they not where they see themselves in the world and where the world sees them as their place as well. I remember doing a um, Black History Month program and it was middle school and uh, it was you know a diverse class about fifty kids and I started by saying hey happy Black History Month and they repeated back and then I say why don't we have a White History Month you know and 
quiet. Then one brave black girl raised her hand and said, because they have too much history to fit in a month. And at first I chuckled, but then, then I started thinking like, well, wow, what, mm. what is she exposed to to make her think that there's another group of people that has a history that's more vast or more important than her own? And it's not her fault, but a lot of times because of us as an older generation, what are we exposing her to? She's not exposed to that. So if she's starting there, how can we ever expect her to really reach her full potential, mm -hmm. right? If she has that, that sense of herself and about where she comes from. You know what I mean? So, right. so I think that that's, that's the gap, I think, mm -hmm. that you're trying to fill. It's, it's, it's the imagery, it's, it's the stories, and it's the value, you know, that we place on certain people. And I guess I kind of want to get a little bit more into that in the sense of why do you think and I mean, there's tons of reasons why, but why do you think there is a gap in in the sense within our school systems, within education, of of like we're you know when we're talking about the United States, when we're talking about the America, a melting pot, so many different cultures and races and other place, people from all over here. Um, so why is it that there's such a gap in having a multicultural story, or why are people maybe so fearful of a multicultural story? Um. Yeah, that's because from your perspective, it's it's a it, large no, question. It's, it's big. So. It is big, but it it is something that uh, I think is in the headlines now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the topic that that that's it's coaxed in is the term critical race theory and whether it should be in or not and those type of things. And it's just it's a catchphrase, really, but it means a lot. Um, but you know, to me, it's it's <laughs> um, the story of African Americans is the story of America. Right? That's a part of it. It shouldn't be, to me, segmented out. It should be the story, right? I mean, when this event happened, whatever it is, we talk about the pandemic. You have a perspective of how you lived it. I have a perspective of how I lived it. And if we start not putting in someone's perspective, then we're not really getting the full story, right? And so I think even if you look back at a historical events, it's the same thing. Whether it's mm -hmm. the Revolutionary War, we, African Americans were there and a part of that. That's an not just a side player, integral part of that. You know, at every part of our history's making, we were there, we were part of it, we had a piece, you know, a piece to contribute to it or whatever, so it's important that I think the full story gets told. I think a lot of what we're experiencing now is what's been passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And you know, when a lot of these decisions were made, I'm not saying anyone now is making those decisions, but sort of passing down those decisions, I think when they were made at that time, it was during this time of Jim Crow, it was during this time of um, segregation, it was during a time where it was explicitly thought that this, these per people's history is not important. Mm -hmm. You don't need to tell it, right? And that's not like, you know, uh, trying, you, you, don't, you don't have to uh, guess, that's what was said, right, back then. Right. But these, this, these are the building blocks and foundations of the curriculums that we have, the books that are published, the, the imagery that's out there. As a matter of fact, sometimes I do presentations on this topic, and you can go back. One, one, um, you know, W. D. Du Bois mm -hmm. was one of the founders of uh, NAACP mm -hmm. and early 20th century. <clears throat> and one of the things that he did during his, this is back in the 1919s, 1920s, um, is he had put together a magazine, and um, oh man, the name escapes me. Uh, but but the magazine was. To focus and to help, that term used then is colored, colored children mm -hmm. be able to see themselves in a positive light and allowing them to see other successful colored folk mm -hmm. that they could grow up to be a successful you know, colored person. And, um, and, you know, because, you know, the mission that they had was because the imagery that was in society at that time um, was so destructive that he wanted to make sure and have something for parents and for children to see don't buy into that stereotype of what they're trying to tell you about the second-class citizenship of black people that they're not intelligent that they're lazy that they're ugly all these terms that were there and at that point in time it was purpose it was purposely done that way it wasn't just a you know a, a, um, a slip you know it was purposely done so he created this to try to combat that um, we can fast forward to the 1950s during the Brown versus the Board of Education case with the case that uh, ended up in um, the Supreme Court deciding to end um, racial segregation in the schools. And one of the pieces of, of information, one of the 
pieces of evidence that was utilized that was persuasive to the court had to do the research from Dr. Clark and the doll test. And the doll test was um, where they had African-American children, preschool age, and they would give them two dolls. Are you familiar with this test? Mm-hmm. One was exactly the same. The only difference is the color. One was dark and one was, one was white. And they would ask the, the black kid different characteristics mm-hmm. and would say, which doll is pretty? And 99% would point to the white doll. Which doll is smart? The white doll. Which doll is good? The white doll. And then they would ask negative um, characteristics and they would say, which doll is ugly? The black doll. Which doll is bad? The black mm-hmm. doll. All these things. And so it was very persuasive to the point that, um, you know, they were, there was, yeah, separate, um, <laughs> separate can never be equal, right? Because it gives one group a feeling of superiority. And it gives another group a feeling of inferiority. That was, mm-hmm. you know, summary of kind of what the reasoning behind breaking down segregation. So anyway, I'm, what I'm saying is that these are not independent things. It was society at that time. There were those that were purposely wanting to create that caste system of inferiority and, and superiority. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case today. I, I, I mean. I think um, we were talking earlier, most people, I think, are good-natured. I, I think that's fine. I don't think people are purposely doing that. But people don't understand the ramifications of what's been in, put in place generations ago that we continue to carry on. And one mm-hmm. of them has to do with the absence of individuals mm-hmm. in the curriculum, the absence of African-American stories in the American story, the absence of having making sure every child feeling validated as a contributor to society and not less than. Sort of like, again, that little black girl who thought, my history doesn't count as much, so it can fit into a month. But someone else's history is more important, so they need 11 months to talk about it. You know what I mean? So we we can still see uh, the impact of some of those things that have been put in place generations ago. So it's not about like, and now in 2021, trying to point fingers or anything. It's just trying to show, hey, look, these are still some problems that still linger despite a lot of effort and progress that has been made. We can't negate that. But obviously, if we're looking to our children and seeing um, some of the outcomes that are taking place, we have to try and look and see what, what are some of the things that we can solve. And this right. is solvable. That was one of, the, one of the things that really helped us move forward with this was we would talk to teachers who say it's a problem and the parents should have more books in the home. We would talk to, to, to parents they would say it's a problem. They need to change the curriculum in the schools. And it's like this circular pointing the finger of somebody should do something and so we're like well let's do it <laughs> let's do something <laughs> like you know let's let's make this place so that um, no one can longer longer um, have an excuse to say oh we can't find good books or we can't find books on this topic or this subject um, it's right here you know and uh, so you know we can be utilized now it's just a matter of will that's so awesome just to be able to hear and thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. just in that sense I wanted to get back to what you were saying earlier about the W.E.B. Du Bois book mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I necessarily know the magazine that you were um, speaking to but I did read the book Pictures in Progress mm-hmm. um, with W.E.B. Du Bois and other early civil rights activists Frederick Douglass like mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier and they were talking about how they were using photography in the er- like in the yeah. early 1900s to be able to establish the things that you're talking about. Yes. So when you like, even in the sense of like going into black homes, why are there so many pictures of African American families and, and family members and other individuals in that yeah. space? Yeah. It was to do what you were saying is to reiterate this sense of collectiveness, this sense of strength, yep. this sense of connection to not only yourself but the people that are around you as well that look like you absolutely um and so that book for me was really mind-opening in the sense for my art personal art practice and things like that and so to hear you say that it was just like oh man i remember reading those sections of the book and just my mind being exploding of understanding of just like i mean for me even me personally i didn't even know that photography was being used by african americans in that way in the early 1900s until i you know the book was placed in front of me and it said Oh, there it is. It's right there. That's right. That's so. right. No, it's amazing. And so it's like, for us, it was, it was, you know, we're just focused on this is the problem we have in our lap that we're trying to solve for, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, but then as we started to do this research, we started to see, wow, this is not just about us today, but this is the 
continuation of what mm-hmm. they were you know dealing with in the past right imagery and some of the imagery back then as we know during jim crow it wasn't like hidden like now it kind of like if i do a presentation i would have the disclaimer it's like listen this is going to be some some t- some things that you're going to see some words are going to be said the n-word and all those things which were said freely back then and imagery is just as just as harsh um that uh you know like just you know, but back then it was just it was on your toothpaste, right? It was on the commercial, it was in the newspaper. All those mm-hmm. those big lips and those just those terrible, you know, distorted imageries of characters mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, there's a Jim Crow museum. I forget where it is where they, he captures a lot of that memorabilia to kind of just keeps it as a as a history to kind of you know so it doesn't we don't forget. And um, but that was there, so you can imagine why photography. And, and showing black people in a very dignified manner. We think like, you know, what's the big deal? Like, it was a big right. deal, right? You know, because they, you wouldn't see it anyplace else. Right, like, you know, to see those images of Frederick Douglass, like, like especially that stern, like, very yeah. mountain, like, this, like, I don't know for me, like, when I think of Frederick Douglass, I think of this stern face, this gray hair that swooped back, this, like, almost mountain-like presence yes. of, like, I'm here yep. and I'm not going to boo. That's right. Um, That's and I right. think that goes back to his overall story. Yes. Um, when we're looking at it, not you know, not just from a St. Louis context, but also from a national context of 100%. civil rights as well, too. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting to see how all these things are interconnected and then how it also leads back to just what you're saying, the imagery and seeing yourself in spaces that you may have not seen your, yourself in before. Yeah. So uh, two things on the Frederick Douglass. Um, I went to go see his house in D.C. Ooh. And the way his house is situated, it's like on a hill overlooking D.C. You get the sense of like, oh, this was, he was the man. <laughs> like he was, uh, this where he, where he, oh, absolutely. Powerful. So where he lived represented what you just said. That right? I, that's all I could think about. Wow, I mean, we, we read him, you know, it's funny reading in the book about him, but then actually seeing the environment where he actually lived, it kind of was like, oh, wow, this really reflects that strength you're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. And the other thing you said about representation, how powerful it is, is um, I remember the movie that came out um, a few years ago, Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. right? Hidden Figures, right? Talk about the space program. Right. Who knew the contributions African-American women to the space program, right, before that? Right? I didn't, they learned I, it in school, I right? I personally did not. The first computers were African-American women, like, the computers that we have, right? The first computers were African-American. And it's just amazing to, to see that and to see, imagine that being a common piece. Imagine how much impact that would have on an African-American girl or just African-American or just anybody, even a girl or whatever, to say, wow, that's, you know, being a, a rocket scientist is, is not like just... Out of the norm. Out of the norm. Like anybody you know, has... You know, has has opportunity if you know to, to do that if they have the will and desire to do that you know what I mean so right. it's it's uh, it's just interesting you know when when you see that when when you see something how much it opens up the door for you mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah and I think you know going to what you're saying like places like this here being at the bookstore I think are places where those opportunities happen yes at. I know for me one of those early places was my junior year of college when I went to the African American Museum of History and Culture in DC. Nice. That was another one of those eye openers in the sense of seeing the wealth of history in one place. Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting about what's happening here is because some of those same feelings are resonating with me right now, being able to see the wealth of different stories and knowledge all in one place in St. Louis. Yes. That, that might not for some for some people that don't even know about it. Right. And it's just like it's here readily available. And I think that's what's um really exciting about having this here in St. Louis. Yes, hundred percent. And we're excited to be here because we were um just having this conversation a little earlier <clears throat> that if we were living in Jersey would it would this happen the same way? Mm-hmm. And I don't think so. I I don't know. I think as I reflect back, I think about the support that we receive from St. Louis, from the mm-hmm. residents of St. Louis, um, has been overwhelmingly good. You know, last year during the pandemic, we, like a lot of businesses, came close to closing our doors. Well, you know, we definitely did close our doors because we had to, right? But, I mean, just to, you know, it was just very difficult. And um, we actually reached out to the community, and they came and supported us, you know? And that's just one example. It's just, you know, ever since we opened up our doors in 2015, we've had overwhelming support from the community. And um, 
and and this is from the black and white community, right? It's not just you know um, I, one of our ed- pieces of education. I focus again. We wouldn't think about a business. We just was thinking about raising our children, and this is a, something we got to fix. And as a, as a parent, you know, that's your responsibility is to do what you need to make sure your children have everything they have so that they can be the best they can be. And that, that that's all we were thinking about. Then eventually, we we're like, hey, you know, this seemed to to work. Let's make let's make it available to again. Our focus was really on the black community, uh, other African American children. But after we opened up our doors, it sort of was like we have you know a good percentage of our customers are not African American because they want to expose their children to diverse literature. And, um, and they understand that, you know, it's important that, especially as you look towards the future, their children are going to live in a world um, that's becoming more and more diverse. And, not, and, and, you know, having that concept of othering other people is going to be a deficit, you know. It's a, the, the, you need to really understand and see, you know, how, how, how diverse the world really is. And it's really a positive thing, you know. Um, and um, so the earlier you do that, I think the, you know, the better it is. So anyway, so you know, we, we, we expanded our mission statement to really include even more diversity, you know, um, not just African-American, but also Native American, um, the, uh, children of different abilities, um, you know, um, um, Hispanic, um, you know, um, Islam, and, and, and just different, a lot of underrepresented groups. We also started carrying some of their books as well to be able to you know, be able to help them as well, be able to see themselves in the books that they read. And that's where the name came from, I See Me, right? When mm-hmm. children open up their books, we want them to say, I see me in the books that I read. Mm-hmm. How did you get started with your children? You know, you're, you're having these thoughts, you're coming to these realizations, you want to do something. How do you start kind of curating these books for them? And I'm also curious, like, I'm sure your different individual kids took to different types of books or whether some were more interested in sports or, or, or what have you or the arts or whatever. Yes. What were some specific books or series of books or authors that you guys as a family kind of got started on and how did the journey sort of grow from there? It's interesting because it was, um, actually my children was the, my children, my wife was the real point person on, on this. Um, so she should be on this interview too, right? She'll get next time. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> night for family. Um, but she, um, you know, what, what we found a lot is if they were, it's a particular topic that they were covering, then we would go and find out some of the books that maybe cover that topic, right? It could be historical, or it could be something about science, or it could be something about just whatever that could be, you know? And um, so if there was something that we didn't find, then sometimes we would have to do it ourselves. And actually, my wife wrote a couple books, um, a couple of children's books, um, and she wanted to do more, but then we ended up like, open up the bookstore so that stopped the writing for a little bit but she wants to get back to it we also did the posters as you can see there as well and we have both you know secular and biblical posters so it was sort of would be what would kind of dictate it kind of was where our conversations were going at the time and we talk about so many times the um uh the dining room table got this you know we still have it to this day and it's like that would be that's the family gathering place where we would do our discussions or our book readings or homework and things like have those type of thing and usually where it would lead us that's kind of where we we would um we would sort of take it so i know like one of the other things we did is that um i remember we were talking about history i think it was I think one of the children had said, oh, where, where were we as black people during like the Ottoman Empire? I think they were studying the Ottoman Empire or something. And so we kind of we went through that. And one thing that I noticed is that, you know, when you talk about history, uh, a lot of times children look at it like very flat, like it's just the past is just that and not really understanding the cause and effects of how things happen. And so we actually had, we created a card game um, and again, this is just for, to help our, my children see, and um, it's pretty much like a it's like an, um, a timeline game where you have to put the series of events in chronological order to kind of see the cause and effect from one, I say, era to another. And that was one. Of, so that that was actually one of the first products. Like we didn't know we were going to open a bookstore. We were just going to create some products of ICME. Um, this is before 2015. This is back like in 2011, and um, eventually it grew into into the bookstore. But it sort of started through our conversations. Started, you know, whatever topic was up at that time, we just started fill it, fill that with what we could find. And if we could find books on their level, then we would use that. Or sometimes we would just augment that and sort of create our own, you know, sort of curriculum from that. So that uh, I would say the uh, my um, oldest son. 
I was definitely into science, and right now he's actually in pre-med, so he's that's always like he just always knew what he wanted, mm-hmm. and that was you know from a little thing. So he just continued and worked through it. Um, then my I have twin girls, and so one of them, both of them, actually they loved the novels, they loved the um, you know. Um, uh, Twilight series is like one of their that type of stuff, <laughs> like, all those different type of things. Or whatever. A little romance in it, and those those little type of things. Yeah, yeah. So those type of things. Um, and then my youngest one, he a variety of things. He just liked a, a lot of variety of things. He's into a lot of stuff. So you know. But yeah, it was it was a lot of a lot of different things. And so the thing was like whatever it was, we still wanted to expose them to a lot of different things, right? So mm-hmm. not just to stay in one thing, but also to a lot, a lot of different topics. Mm-hmm. Okay. And before we get more into like. I guess I assume you just as like the bookstore and things like that. I'm really curious about, I guess, two things. One, how did your journey, like, I guess, because I'm assuming you all were a family at that time. How did the, how did you all get to St. Louis? Like, oh. what was like, what was that journey? And then also, too, I guess, more so of your personal journey with like, with, with books. Like, were you always an avid reader? Did somebody share that love of knowledge and books for you? Because I, I think it is, you have to have a love for it, like, to be yeah. able to just to continue to read. Because for some people, it's just like, no, it's just not their way of retaining information. Or sure. that's not what incites imagination and creativity. So was that always that for you? And then also, how... How did you and your family decide St. Louis is where we're going to arrive at? So uh, I'll start with that one first. So uh, I'm I'm an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. And I worked for the Social Security Administration. Um, actually, the backup. So I was uh, working or not working <laughs> in New Jersey. This is um, around a 2008 2010 time period. That's when the uh, recession was taking place, and I was actually changing careers uh, into law. All right. I was um, I did um, computer science and project management for about twenty years or so, and I was transitioning during that depression time. Right, and so I got an opportunity from the Social Security Administration to work for them, but in St. Louis. And so I was sort of like spoke to my wife and like, so you know, good news and bad news. Good news, I got a job. Bad news is we got to go to that city with that thing. Right, I don't know what it was. I don't. I knew anything about St. Louis. And, um, you know, things are just so rocky at that time. It was like, let's just go for it. Let's just see, you know. So um, so we did. And, and, and we came out here uh, to St. Louis. Um, actually, had moved to uh, Kirkwood. And, um, and then at that point, that's when we enrolled our children into, into the school system. And um, so, so that's what brought us here, was my job, uh, working in the Social Security Administration. And um, they, were, they were setting up, actually, um, virtual um, hearings um, to allow um, people to be able to, you know, um, you know, apply for disability uh, with an administrative law judge, and we would assist the judges and things like that. So, so I was there for a couple of years. Um, so that's what brought us here. Um, so as far as my love for books, um, yeah, I've, I've, I guess I've always been a reader, but I, I always, my, I always have like my attention span, short attention span. So I've always liked shorter things. I've always, even as an adult, liked shorter like articles or newspaper or things like that, right? Reading a full book to me sometimes like, okay, I got to put it down and come back, put it down because I'm always, my mind goes on to something else. So, but one thing that really always catches me with children's books because they're really short and the imagery and all that. So, yeah, and, and to me, the really good ones was the creativity of it. Mm-hmm. To be able to tell a story or a concept in the concise way and the, the, the different ways that, that, that different authors would put it together and always that always appealed to me and it always makes me reflect back to when I was in school those are some of the most memorable days is the days that we were going to read a story you know in a group and show the pictures and yeah, the story time period and so um, I've always did that so even now when books come here and they open up to me it's just like uh, it's like wow let's see. oh man this is so beautiful look at I'm, I'm get excited you know I'm that so I do have a, I have a thing for children's book I think it's just a great a great genre talk to me about this progression of coming to the decision and the process of opening this bookstore. And also, let's note that we're in U City. The mm-hmm. store is in U City. So how'd you make your way and decide to open the store here in University City? Yeah, so um, again, when we had first started the concept of ICME, it was some products that we had, and we actually 
you know, we thought it was important. We didn't know if anyone else thought it would be important or if what was going to happen. Uh, so we started out going to like different events um, and like as a vendor. And um, and so after a while, we're like, wow, this really like people really are interested in this. So we're like, let's open up a store and I'll actually do it. And then even there, we could also have programming attached to it as well. So we could do like, you know, tutoring or things like that. Um, and so, um, so we decided, okay, we're going to do that. Now the question is where, where we're going to do that. Right. And, um, so, uh, we looked around a lot of different spots, um, affordability again, still cautious because it's still like, you know, this is open up a bookstore and, um, in the age of Amazon, in the age of, you know, uh, I think not, not long ago, Borders Books, if you guys remember that, yeah, had gone out of business, right? Yeah. So, like... Barnes & Noble. Yeah, they were struggling, you know, so... contrarian. Yeah, so, like, how, you know, so, uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Take baby steps. So, um, we picked you city um, because, uh, you know, uh, St. Louis, is, you know, there still is the Del Mar Divide. Right there's the black side of town, there's the white side of town, so on and so forth. But this is a it seems like a good crossroads between the city and the county, north, south. You know, uh, right here, sort of central. So we're like, this would be a good place to start. And you found an affordable spot as well. So it seemed like, okay, yeah, I think this 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 could work. So that kind of was our decision to kind of find a central location, but also you know some place that uh, was affordable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you got to buy a bunch of books. <laughs> Talk to me about that. I mean, how did you source all this stuff? And, oh, and okay. Oh, full journey. So let me take a step back then to say one, one of the things, you know, we had, I guess we've always had a little entrepreneurial spirit. And um, when we were in Jersey, we've had a couple of businesses. Um, this is, you know, on the side from our full-time jobs. And um, so we've always had that, you know, thing to kind of, you know, put that together. But what was really helpful to help us organize it, um, Grace Hill had a entrepreneurship program. And we went through that program, it's like about 12 weeks or so. And in that, it kind of go through all these particular steps you should be considering and planning to help you look at logistics and vendors and all these various things, right? Uh, shipping and um, taxes and just all this stuff, marketing and, you know employees and human resources it's all those all those different things that you know when you think about it like wow it's a lot we had we just wanted to sell a book right but we didn't think about all these things um and but it was they helped us organize that and so through that through that process you know we were able to kind of just take step one step at a time like um you know we didn't know all the ways to connect with a with vendor because you know we we go we get from all the major vendors so Simon & Schuster, Scholastic, Penguin Random House, just, you know, it's all, all those. And so, you know, creating those type of relationships, all the vendors just took time. But over time, we, we did that. And when we first started, we had, you know, some of, some of our products that we created and then slowly but surely started to just go out there and look. And so, you know, um, a big part of what my, my wife still does is that, you know, going to all the publishers, looking through all the websites, looking through all the brochure publications that they send us and things like that, and going through and saying what books are appropriate for us to, you know, to carry. And so that's that's kind of, you know, it takes, takes a lot <laughs> in order to go through that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because just, you know, it's one of those things that um, just because a book may have black characters doesn't necessarily mean it's always a good book. Um, and uh, I, one example is there was a book that came out, I think it was by Scholastic, maybe about three years ago. And um, I think the name was something like Happy Birthday, George Washington. And um, the story was about um, George Washington's slaves going through the day. And it's a children's picture book. Going through their day, trying to put together the ingredients to give George Washington a happy birthday at the end. Yeah. And so... Had black characters, right? It was, it was, it was, you know, technically it was there, but you look at the narrative, the narrative it was repeating sort of as that happy slave type of thing, you know, whatever. Right. So it was, it was just one. Of the, again, that's just maybe an extreme example, but it's still an example that, you know, that, that we we put a lot of uh, folk, a lot of effort in curating the list to make sure it, not just as the imagery there, but also it's in telling the right story as well. Sure. Yeah. And going to, back to the entrepreneur part, I'm curious about. You know this co-ownership of the you know of the bookstore what are the things that you do like where you're like this is my like role these are the things i do really well and then what are the things that pamela is also doing since we don't have her on you know on the <laughs> mic we got to give her you know we got to give her a shout out for all the work she's doing as oh, well. well as i said 
the books are here, she personally curated every single wow. title. So wow. she goes through to make sure, and that takes a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, we have a very niche uh, thing that we're doing here. And so a lot of the, you know, as, a, as an independent bookstore, a lot of the publishers may send us their publications, things, but... You know, 90% of that is like, nah, we don't carry that. This is what we're focused on. So you have to go through that, build relationships with all the vendors mm-hmm. and all the publishers. So not only the big house publishers, but even the small ones, right? Uh, one shout out I got to do is to Just Us Books Book Publishing, which is a black-owned book publishing that's been around 30 years or so. So they've been pioneers in doing a lot of um, kind of what we're doing, but both from the publishing side. And, you know, and um, so they, they so building that relationship, finding them, and that's what she does. She does that to, to make sure what the list that we have here, and then um, she also does the she's the fulfillment piece of it. Sort of a lot of what we do is not just individuals coming into the bookstore, but also people shopping through e-commerce, mm-hmm. and so fulfilling those orders. So she she manages that as well, and a big part also is the relationship with us with the schools. So like uh, probably I think mostly every school district in the region we have a relationship with and whether that's doing book fairs there whether it's helping them put together lists to help diverse their curriculum or their library or their um or their classrooms um or you know sort of bulk orders we do bulk orders for school as well she sort of manages that as well so she's that's awesome she's the she's a rock star absolutely (laughs) there you go there you go and then real quick how many books are we talking about here just in total? Like, like if, we a thousand plus? Like, are we... Yeah, I think are, here is more... Good question. Maybe like 3,000, I think. Titles? Um, so we have a large title online, but mm-hmm. then a smaller subset that we actually physically have in the store. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it probably about four online about about 4,000 titles we have online that's a lot and what's the website we'll put it in the show notes oh, too but uh, what's the website www.icme.com and to spell it is E-Y-E S-E-E-M-E right icme.com mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and real quick what's the location here in U City if, in case people want to swing by sure uh, we're right here at 6951 Olive Boulevard in University City Perfect. So people can can come past the store oh, and see it do. for themselves. Yes. Talk to me about, and you've already alluded to it plenty of times, but why it's so important to go to the schools and, and do things that are outside of the walls of just this bookstore and be out in the community. <clears throat> That's really our mission, right? Is to is to is to really make sure the children <clears throat> fill that gap that we feel the children are not being exposed to. And so that's that's kind of the place to really catch them. That's where we all started um, there. And um, with where we saw the need is. So, um, you know, many, and plus, schools are reaching out to us as well. So it's sort of like a, a win-win situation. They, they understand that their, you know, their um, population is getting more and more diverse. They understand that there's a benefit in making sure that all the children um, feel validated and, um, and and has their story connected with the American story. They see their value in that. And, um, and so, you know, since this is our specialty, I think we can assist them with that. So it's sort of a win-win situation. And so it's the partnerships with the schools are just invaluable. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then students, like, buy the – they purchase the books at – Book fairs? The, the book fairs? Yeah. Yeah. So that's in- books. interesting, right? So when we first started doing – again, this is part of our learning, right, mm-hmm. a part of the way. We didn't think we were going to do any book fairs when we first thought, started ICME. But um, a school asked us, and we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And then more schools and more schools. And so now it's like a third of our business. Well, before COVID. Now it's, it's building back up now, but, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, so interesting. Uh, and just when I say, like, you know, county and, and, uh, and city, you guys kind of understand a little bit about the socioeconomic challenges that are there, the differences that are there. So in the county, we'd have a book fair, and financially would do great. And in the city, right, or in, in poorer areas where we do book fairs, and we would have like, I remember one time a young boy would, would look at, oh man, I love this book. And it's like, is it free? And I'm like, oh no, no, it's a you know, book fair. You have to you know, go home and tell your mother that you want this book, and then she can give you the money for, for, you know, for the book. And they're like, oh, but no, we don't have any money. And I was just like, Man, you know that's kind of kind of he's very sincere. Like I was like, oh man, so like, so we can't do this. So if we just follow the money, then we end up s- supporting the communities 
or not supporting communities that we kind of wasn't businesses we, we created business for in the first place. You so can't like help this, the most in need. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, so so anyway, so we had actually started then a nonprofit so that we could kind of mm-hmm. fill that gap, right? To make sure any child, no matter of their socioeconomic status, can benefit from seeing themselves in the books that they read from representation, which is so important, especially for those that may be socioeconomic challenged so they can get out of that situation. If people want to donate and support you guys, how do they get in touch? Yep. That's, again, go to the website, okay. www.icme.com. Again, that's E-Y-E-S-E-E-M-E.com. And we have the ICME Foundation link right there where they can support. Great. We'll make sure to link to all of that in the show sure. notes too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from looking up you all on online and things like that, you... It seemed like maybe a few years back you all were starting to gain a lot of notoriety for the work that you all are doing. Where did that come from? And like, I mean, because we're talking about like Steve Harvey, we're talking about all these different mm-hmm. platforms that are really focusing in on the work that you all are doing. Where did that start at? And like, is there like a, a point in like the timeline of the bookstore where you're like, yeah, that was the moment <laughs> that started this kind of chain reaction? Yeah, there there were a few like that, um, you know. But there, there's one that comes to mind um, in particular. There's a um, a mother and son who came into the store, and it was a a surprise for the son. Um, I think he's about ten years old at the time, and um, <clears throat> um, you know he that's when we had a older space. And um, he thought they were going like Dave and Buster's or something, whatever. So see, he was like, oh, when he gets here, he's like, oh, a bookstore. Okay, I like to read, but, you know, we didn't think it was so exciting. But then, as he looked closer and saw every cover reflected him in some way, he just, he was just, you know, just taken back. He was like, wow. So he sat down, picked up one of the books and started to read. And um, his mother videotaped him and she's she's like she's a blogger and she posted it of her son reading this book and she called the next day and said that post got the most i've ever gotten on anything i've ever posted and it went viral it got five thousand hits ten thousand hits thirty thousand i mean just went up and up and i was just like wow this is amazing and it was like wow um it's great that it did right but the question is also why would a black boy reading a book be so novel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, okay, that's good. So it got picked up by the news media. And then one of the things that, as my wife was speaking to them about, like, you know, one of the, one of the things is, especially when it comes to young black boys in that, in that age range, <clears throat> is that when we start to see um, some academic challenges, especially when it comes to reading. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I don't, I don't care demographics at all. Don't matter what, no matter race, anything. If you go to a preschool, if you go to a first grade, and you bring out books and start to read, everybody's in the story. Everyone's excited. Everyone is like, you know, engaged. And as soon as you finish it, the first thing they say is, "Read it again." Right? I mean, they're right. They're they're just right. That's right. no matter what. Yeah. Same story doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But then if you track those same children, by the time they get to fifth grade, you see something's happened you'll see this one demographic that is like maybe into books, another demographic who's like, I don't like to read, you know? And it's sort of, so it's one of those things where it's sort of like, well, what's happened? And a lot of times what's happened is it's not so much they don't like to read, they don't like to read what's being given to read because mm-hmm. they, they can't connect with it anymore. It's not about them. They don't see themselves in some ways. So um, we were having that discussion with the mother, and so the mother and the son started a book club. And I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, Books, books and Bros. bros. I was gonna, I, there was something that told me like I was like I feel like I've heard this story yes. somewhere yes. and it's like yes. they've been on they've been on my radar so nice gonna nice. have to make something happen get them on oh, please do please do and um, so they've done that and they've they've actually just grown and grown and grown and so um, one of the things that they've did is that they were actually featured on Steve Harvey mm-hmm. Oprah gave them a shout out and so a part of that actually helped sort of validate some, you know, again, we started to open a bookstore. We're like, I don't know if anybody's going to, whatever, but the fact that we can create an environment that could spark that type of reaction is like, mm-hmm. yes, this is what we want to do is to make sure that we allow, you know, children to be able to really just find themselves and just expand and really see their potential, which we really truly believe is limitless, you know? So, um, so yeah, they've actually, definitely should reach out to them. They've actually um, 
relocated to Atlanta, but definitely still reachable. And For I think sure. it'd be a great story. They've done so. That was what he was did when he was like ten or eleven. I, I know. Now he's just doing so many amazing things. He's been a Marvel superhero. I he's, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing things that he's been doing. All from one moment. Yes. At the bookstore that sparked. Yes, yes. And his mother, who really has been a great guide for him as well. So right. shout out to to Winnie for what she does. Definitely. And I think it's just you know going back to what you were saying. I think it was a comment that she made Lucas earlier about like this idea of opening a bookstore in this very much digital interconnected age and like I guess the one thing kind of my thought about that is I think you know even though we're more interconnected than ever I think there is still a level of these moments that you're talking about these these moments where whether it be like like for myself like going like going to these specialty going to these boutiques going to things that where you see you you have this human connection with somebody yes and seeing the work that's being done and knowing that it's a space that is special and different from the rest yes and i think that is one thing that makes this stand out is that it it stands out from other big stores particularly because of the content that it's holding mm-hmm. yeah so agreed and i think there's more there's an enhanced level of beauty in a physical book yeah. mm-hmm. that a Kindle or any device could ever recreate. Even like being here is just like peaceful. Yeah. Or huh. even in an Amazon delivery, like, you know, nothing wrong with it. Like, I mean, you know, if that's, if that's how you get your stuff, that's how you get your stuff. Yeah. But it's just that sense of like coming to the space, talking with people, building yep. those relationships, building yep. that sense of community yep. that is a part, like what we were talking about earlier, is a part of the human experience. That's right. Yeah. That's, and that's where it comes out of. And that's kind of like when you look at the books, again, all the different covers, just the, 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 the thought that went into that, to the titles and to the subject matter and like, you know, Right. The, the creativity that goes into it and it's a, a sort of reflection of someone's mm-hmm. you know spirit in a way right yeah. and you have access to all of that and there's so many ways it's like where do I start right because right. there's so many ways that you could do that you could do that but then also too it's the extra layer of like the time that you all spend curating the books putting yeah. it together making sure that the whole experience is right putting the boxes together to send out to people of the yep. monthly subscriptions and things that's like right that. there's so many ways that you all are putting this personal touch yep. on something that for the most part is an accessible thing like you can go get your you can go get the same book from somewhere else but it's a way that you all are doing it yes. and providing the space that makes it stand out from the rest yes yeah. well said i like that <laughs> i like that that's true yeah well and you know what i always say it's a labor of love right i mean that's really really you know we always go back to our, our roots and why we started we want to really do all that we can to make sure that you know um literacy is a huge part of our culture and as well you know part of that is has ensuring that understand the value of literature and you know was one of the researchers have spoken about both being um, mirrors and windows seeing yourself but also being able to see beyond yourself and seeing a world outside of your environment as well and so books have a valuable tool in helping to do that and you know if um if we don't support that and really invest in that then you know people will understand that so we want to just make it as accessible as possible any for you titles authors new releases anything that's um that's resonating that's fun right now that you want to shout out any particular books um there's a couple actually there's there's um you know it's almost like um my children like how can I do a favor right, so, but, uh, right. But, but maybe uh, a starting five would be a little bit better <laughs> some honorable mentions um, so one that came out a couple years ago that still is one of my uh, favorite is um, Hill Love picture book so Hill Love um, was written um, I think we have a copy over there um, and it, it became a short a Disney short so um, it became a short movie on it and basically has to do with a father african-american father having to do the hair the hair of his daughter african-american daughter and the mother wasn't there in town at the time and just his challenges in doing that it's called hair love and so it sort of touches on two things um in african-american community hair is a very big deal and um um a lot of times um it's uh you know we have to support our young girls to really find value in their hair um um, and to really, sh- as it is, kinky hair and whatever styles that it can be done, um, <clears throat> you know, it's less so now, but still an issue. But a lot of there are times when you're talking about an African American girl, they wish their hair was silky and long and not really loved the, what 
the God, what God gave them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there have been books that come out like I Love My Hair and things like that to really support and really show you what your hair is. is slow. Again, it goes back to the imagery mm-hmm. right? that's been put out there as what is beautiful and what is not. And so that, that t- touches that, but it also touches on black fathers because one of the things that's a lot of times spoke about negatively in, in pop culture is the black father. Oh, he's not there or he's in jail or something, just something always negative. And, you know, there's so many fathers like me who are like, wait, that's not my story. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of fathers out here that are invi- there, involved and there, but there's no, no representation of that story at all. So this sort of touches on both of those things. And uh, it was actually written by, um, I forget the name, was ex-football player. But anyway, we, we hosted him them here when they were they were putting it out um so that was that was really nice so anyway that's one that's really good um and another one is um uh the, the books that come out for about hidden figure that was mm-hmm. really impactful when that movie came out black panther books were very very impactful yes. when that came out that was like couldn't keep them on the shelf that was that was real impactful um a couple that uh just came out now um <clears throat> is uh there's one that's called um recognize and it's a follow-up. Again, it's published by Just Us Books. It's a follow-up to a book that's called The Talk. And it's actually uh, an anthology of different individuals, different authors, different illustrators that are speaking about sort of um, the black experience over in America over time. And it's for, for a children's perspective or young person's perspective. And it has some great perspectives in there um, and uh, great stories in there. So I think the, the, that was that's really that's one of those that really, you know, uh, come to mind. Um, but there's, there's, there's so many. Right. It's hard to. It's hard. When you got four thousand different <laughs> yeah, options, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, lot of kids to try to choose which one you want at the moment or not. Yes, 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 yes. I know. Like, if we walk through, I probably. Oh yeah, that one's a good one, and then that one there's good too, and that one's there good too. It's a good one. Um, that, um, that's happening now. So one that I'm thinking about now too is, um, it's this. So this is a young adult slash high school. Um, area and it's also where we may have events here and things like that um and so there's one that's um oh where is it where is it uh well i'll tell you about it i can't (laughs) see where it is but um so here the concept is uh it's during the civil war it's a historical fiction and during the civil war um individuals who die end up coming back as vampires yeah <laughs> right right absolutely yeah 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 that's yeah. interesting that's that's that is interesting yeah. enough for me war. to be like hmm, yeah no, that's what i'm saying it's, yeah it's great out. it's great where is that title so um so so what they do the north and the south make a truce to stop to kind of help solve this problem of the vampires that that ends the civil war and what they do is they end up freeing the slaves, uh, African Americans, and bringing them, making them into vampire hunters. Like that's that's the like you can be free, just become a vampire hunter, and so that's the yeah. So it brings in sort of the the modern vampire like that's the you know thing that young people are into. Oh, I guess a lot of us into, and uh, but also. Uh, the themes of the Civil War yeah. and the themes of, you know, so you're talking about, and I love that type of creativity where you, you're talking about some of these heavy topics and you're still going to talk about, there's still going to be a lot of, you know, issues there about race and about all those various things, but it's done in a way that you're learning about it, in fact, really knowing about it and, and, and can look at those dynamics almost in a way where it's it's not, you know, doesn't have to be. Um, you don't You don't realize that you're being like, it's an educational experience. Absolutely. You're being Absolutely. entertained. That's you know? right. You're being entertained. That's entertained. So cool. Yeah. So. Right. I'm going to have to check that title. Yeah. I got to. Well, we're going to be shopping yeah. after this. I'm, I'm, say, I'm, yeah. scanning, I'm <laughs> scanning these shelves the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. Before you go, I'm going to give you the title. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. So, before we wrap up, what's next for you guys, man? What's coming up in 2022 and what's the vision moving forward for I See Me? Um, continue to expand and continue, you know, we try to do a lot of different things to make sure people are aware that we're here in just the St. Louis area um, but we continue to do that and that, but also continue to even expand beyond St. Louis so we do currently now again because of a lot of national exposure we were like on CBS News um, last year um, and that brought us a lot of national exposure um, and it's a couple of the publications that we were in as well national publications so that brought a lot of exposure and so uh, people have asked us about opening up another location and different places and so we've been 
before the pandemic, we were we were looking at that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that put an end to things to doing any expansion of that until you know things settle down. So now, in twenty twenty two, is something else for us to start start looking at to see about what that could possibly be, look like as well. It's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's well, really we are. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, we are. So it's you know, but right now it's just getting back to normal in a way let's say right mm-hmm. doing that like we're still doing like we have story time twice a week we're still doing it virtually right and so i think we're probably soon we probably will there's numbers start to look a little better start bringing more and more events coming here so kind of get back to normal that's so exciting just because it's just this idea of like what happened at your dining table is now what's potentially happening at other people's dining tables wow. in different rooms and things yeah. like that, where they're sitting down to take this time with their family, their loved ones, relatives, whoever, um, and to be able to read books yes. of people that look like them. That's and so right. that is so, I don't know, that for me, that's just like such a full circle thing to be able to see that opportunity happen. And so just really excited. And, you know, thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing with us, you know, the, the genesis, the story, and then where you all are off to next <laughs> right absolutely yes yeah we'll stay in touch we're going to keep doing things i think a big part of our growth has to do with the partnerships that we have with the different organizations that are out there as well as the schools so we want to keep building on those things and it's one of those things that like we said i don't know st louis is a is a is a place that's hard not to love when we start to work through some of these things you know i start to see people coming out and connecting and reaching across lines to really solve problems it's uh it's been a great journey and yeah, I, sure. I don't know if it could have happened anyplace else. Absolutely. And speaking of that love of St. Louis, Lucas, do you want to ask the final question? Yeah, it's a perfect lead-in. So we ask all of our guests who come on the show the same final question. It's a two-part question about St. Louis. What do you love most about St. Louis? Mm-hmm. And what do you most want to see change about St. Louis? Um, let's see. What I love most about St. Louis. Hold on one sec. <clears throat> Let's see what I love about most St. Louis. I think it's kind of what I said. Is, is that kind of been the topic of discussion and a few conversations I've been having in the past couple of weeks is that, you know, when it came down to it, St. Louis showed up for us. Uh, the community was there and reached out. And so that that community feeling or connection of supporting one another, is like we felt it, you know. Uh, I wouldn't have predicted it necessarily, you know, because there still is a lot of things to work on. But when push came to shove, you know, um, people showed up to help. And, and I think that that was great. So I think um, I want to see more of that. I'd like to see more of that. I'd love to see that, you know, our telling that story of what you guys are doing, you know, sort of telling that story. I think when I talk to family members or friends outside of St. Louis, they don't get that story. You know, they get, they get a different story. So being able to really tell that story and to get it like, you know, I think... I think is important. So I'm thinking more of that, showing the community and even expanding that notion of community, I think um, I think is something I would like to see. Fantastic answer. Well, thanks again for having us here. It's been really inspiring for us to be here and speak with you. We hope that that comes through for our listeners, and we hope our listeners come here and support what you all are doing. Mm-hmm. Really great work. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. All right, thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Make sure to follow and like us on social media and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, St. Louis, speak up. Thank you.